reading from the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke 22, verses 14 through 23 and 56. When the hour for the Passover meal came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Then he took a, lo- a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, The Gospel of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate our minds and hearts today. I pray, God, that I could speak a word from you, something that would challenge and change us all, and that we could sacramentally sense your presence here in this place, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and let the church say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you today on the subject of until kingdom comes. And I hope, if you have ears to hear, I hope something uh, comes alive in you today, because I think I'm going to share something that's, that changed my life, and it's powerful. I hope it changes yours too. So once again, say this with me, until kingdom comes. Say it one more time, until kingdom comes. So there was a guy named Reverend Dr. Charles Albert Tinley, and I, I don't think that most of us would know who He is. He was called the Prince of Preachers, but he was the son of a slave. His mother was free, but his dad was a slave. And he grew up around slaves. And he was a minister in a church called the Methodist Episcopal Church. And he spent his whole life trying to take care of poor people, people who needed justice, people who were fighting for equality, to have their humanity recognized, their dignity restored. And he wanted deeply, he longed, he thirsted. Jesus said, I long to share this meal with you. Uh, Tinley longed to see everybody have a seat at the table in his fight for equality. And he did the work of the kingdom. He, He knew that the kingdom gave him work to do, and he tried his best. But he looked for the day when everyone would be welcomed. And so one of the things that this prince of preachers did is that he wrote hymns that would kind of embody uh, the message that he carried. One of the hymns that he wrote, you might have heard of it, was called, We'll Understand It Better By and By. But one of his most well-known songs he's not given credit for, uh, at least in the public side. And it had a, uh, a line in the hymn that said, The world is one great battlefield with forces all arrayed. If in my heart I do not yield, I'll overcome someday. You may know the latter half of this song by the stanza that we sing quite a bit. And it goes like this. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. How many have heard that song before? Deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome someday. Now, Tinley died proclaiming this message. He, he was convinced that something is coming that is going to absolutely revolutionize the state of the world. He, he, he was very passionate that one day there is going to be an event that reconciles everything together 
and redeems the entire created order. And so he penned this song, We Shall Overcome Someday. Something's coming. It was a proclamation that something was coming. Now, he died in 1933, which, which means that he died before seeing people of color, before seeing people of color uh, given their freedom in terms of the civil rights movement. He died before any of that happened, any, before any of that took place. But little did Tinley know that in 1963, a 22-year-old folk singer named Joan Baez would lead a crowd of 300,000 people at the Lincoln Memorial singing the very song that he wrote, a song that he didn't even know was going to become such a resonating song amongst the people. Now, little did Tinley know also that in 1965, the president of the United States would get up and talk in front of Congress that week following Bloody Sunday in Selma. And the president would get up there in front of the entire congressional body and say, we shall overcome someday. And little did Tinley know that a young Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, who would lead hundreds of thousands of people and inspire millions of people named Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., would recite the words, We Shall Overcome, in his final sermon that he delivered in Memphis, Tennessee, the night before he was assassinated. Now, I want to just keep going back to this idea, until kingdom comes, until kingdom comes. King's, one of King's uh, themes, if you look at the thematic thrust of his speeches towards the end of his life, he became very apocalyptic. He became very eschatological. In other words, he became very mindful about the end of everything. And you know this because if you listen to his words towards the end of his life, he would say things like this. This is from a speech he gave in California towards the end. He said, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to speed up This is what the prophets were talking about in our readings. We will be able to speed up the day of the Lord, speed up this coming. And in the words of the prophecy, Martin Luther King would say, Dr. Martin Luther King would say, every mountain and hill shall be made low and the rough places shall be made plain and the crooked places shall be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And when he would say this, it would resonate with the people. These people who were longing for a day when everything would be made right. These people who were longing for a day when inequality and injustice and violence would be gotten rid of. I want you to think about this because we're still longing for the day of the Lord. And in King's final speech, one that you and I have heard quite frequently, he starts off by saying, we've got work to do. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over. I want you to think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, right? This is the same sort of thematic thrust that you see in Dr. King's speech. He's looking over the city, looking over from the mountain. He sees it. He says, I've, I've gone up to the mountain and I've seen, I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Dr. King would say, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. What is he saying? He's saying there's something coming that is going to make 
all this right. There's something coming that's going to make the world right. There's a kingdom coming. And in his last sermon, he ends with, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I'm going somewhere with this. So a few days later, after Dr. King gave this last sermon of his, actually the next day, his life was taken. And then a few weeks later, we just mourned the anniversary of his death. April 9th, 1968, 50,000 people gathered together, and as they marched down the street with Dr. King's body being pulled by two mules, they sang a song. And that song was, We Shall Overcome. Now, I want you to hold in your heart that tension. Look at these themes. There's something coming. There there is something coming, and the people are proclaiming this, that there is something coming. Now, Palm Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, it's Sunday on Saturday, we celebrate two things. We are proclaiming a king, and we are proclaiming a kingdom. And when you have a king and a kingdom, that means there's going to be a new order, a new rule. Now, here's the thing that really changed my life, and I hope this changes yours. Every week is a celebration of Palm Sunday when we gather at the table. Now, this is where the Eucharist becomes radical. In fact, if you participate in a full Eucharistic liturgy, you say the very words that they said on Palm Sunday. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday every Sunday in a Eucharistic Mass, in a Eucharistic liturgy, is because much like those people in Memphis, here's what we're saying. Something's coming. We shall overcome because we are the people of God. And we are a part, like the scripture says, we are heirs of his kingdom. And there's something coming in the world that's going to set it all right. That's going to make everything new. And when we come to the table, this is exactly what we're proclaiming. A king and a kingdom. The Eucharist is a proclamation of king and coming kingdom. Here's what Paul said. Now, if you don't take my word for it, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup. What's he talking about? The Eucharist. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim... Palm Sunday, you proclaim the Lord's death, hear this, until he comes again. So when we gather at the table every week, we are letting the world know and our community know and ourselves know. We are reminding ourselves that there's something coming. There's a king that's going to come. And we celebrate this meal, but it's not the fullness of the kingdom yet. The meal is not saying that, that it's all over. That, that the kingdom has fully arrived. The meal saying that the kingdom has started and the king is coming back to finish it all. Jesus said this, and I want you to focus on this part. The liturgy or the, the lectionary text was so long, but there's just one part I want you to remember. Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And when he uses that word desire, it means that there's something here. I want to eat this meal with you. We have to ask the question, why? Why is it that that this is so important? And every time you see this in Luke's gospel, in any of the gospels, there's a connection with eating and drinking in kingdom. For example, Jesus' mom, she she writes a song called the Magnificat. 
And in that song, what does she talk about? There's food. He's filled the hungry, right? And Jesus brings good news and blessing to those who hungered, in his own words, to those who hunger now. Now think about this. In the Lord's Prayer, right after we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What's the next thing we move to? Give us this day. There's a connection between daily bread bread, and kingdom, wine and kingdom. This is the king's feast. And when the king comes, it's time to celebrate. It's time to party. When kingdom comes, it's time to break bread and sit at the table. And to quote, to quote Tinley, all people, that's when kingdom comes, when all people are welcome to the table. And so here's the eschatological tension of this meal. The eschatological end time tension of this meal is exactly what Isaiah and Joel were talking about, that there is going to be a coming of the Lord, the the day of the Lord. And on that day, every single person is going to sit down and dine with him. Now, Now, there's another version of this in Revelation. Have you ever heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb? That's what this is. And I want to read you some text. Revelation 19. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel. Many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, in the kingdom. So table and kingdom are connected. But here's the part that I just want to leave you with. Why did Jesus say, I'm not going to eat of it until the end? He said, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. You read it yourselves. I'm not going to eat of this again until the kingdom comes. Until kingdom comes. The reason why this is, and this isn't my thinking, this is our good friend, Dr. Chris Green. And this is so dope. Oh, I love this. Here's what Dr. Chris Green said. The Eucharist gives us a meal that anticipates the kingdom. The Eucharist is not the kingdom meal. The Eucharist is not the kingdom meal because Jesus eats the kingdom meal. He says, I'm going to eat it in the end when the kingdom has come. But the Eucharist is not the kingdom meal because Jesus and everybody else is not at the table yet. The Eucharist is the blessing that begins the kingdom. It's not the kingdom meal because not everybody's eating yet. But it is the blessed meal that begins the kingdom. Jesus initiates the meal, but it's not consummated yet. It's consummated when Jesus eats this meal with us. And so what's happening in the Eucharist, and here's a quote that I wanted to share with you. This this lit a fire in my heart. Dr. Chris Green said, what's happening in the Eucharist is not the kingdom has come fully. Let's rejoice. What's happening in the Eucharist is the kingdom is coming. Let's get to work. So when we come to the table, like we're about to in a minute, we are not saying the kingdom has fully come. Let's party. What we are saying is because of God's grace and the means of grace, the work of Jesus, the kingdom has begun and we have work to do. We have work to do because there's something coming. I'll finish with this thought. Every Saturday when we gather together around the table, or Sunday, we, we celebrate something that's been initiated but not consummated. And because of this, there's a joy at the table, but there's also a burden. The joy at the table is Christ is present. Christ is with us. The burden at the table is 
There are so many people who should be around this table who are not. So when you see me in this position and I'm finishing the host, that should have gone to someone else. And so there's a burden there. I mean, this is how you can read the liturgy. This is how you can read the Eucharistic Mass. There's a burden as you see somebody finish off the host and your heart begins to hurt because you recognize those are people who should have been here. And they're not here yet. But have hope. Because to quote Tinley, deep in my heart, I do believe something's coming. There will come a time, there will come a day where we see all people at the table. And so we have work to do. The ending of the Eucharistic liturgy, it's in here. I want you to take this home and read it and keep rereading it. And I want you, in fact, you could turn to it right now. Look, Look at the end. And this is what I'm trying to say. Look at the post-communion prayer. Something that we're going to pray pray at the end here. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son. Look at this. And heirs to your eternal kingdom. There's kingdom. That that we're proclaiming kingdom at the table. But look at this part. Here's the tension. Thinking about those who are not at the table yet. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. That is what we are proclaiming every week at the table. That something's coming. Something has been initiated. Every time, to quote Paul, that we gather and we drink of this cup and we eat of this bread, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and coming kingdom. That's what we're doing here. But then we are not filled with presence. We, are not, we don't become the mystical body of Christ in the world just so that we can have a spiritual high. But we go back out into the world and we tell people there's a place for you at the table. Come and dine, the master calleth. This is for you. And this is for everybody. And kingdom's coming. This is proclamation of a king and proclamation of the kingdom. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Peace.